Let us ask God to bless our time considering his word. Let us pray. O God and our Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and nearest kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as you all know, we've begun a series considering God's direction to us, Jesus' direction to the church to make disciples. So again, let us consider Matthew 28, beginning in verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Here we see laid out, and you're saying, Pastor, wait a minute. You're reading this every week. I think I know this. Probably most of you have had it memorized a long time. We know we're supposed to go and make those disciples. We know, in fact, that we should baptize them. You know what we struggle with? Teaching them to observe all things I have commanded. I'm just being realistic. If we can be honest and open with one another, this is a challenge. In our own homes, with our spouses, in our homes, with our children, in our church community, and in people that we come into contact with. Let us put our mind to understanding the commands of God. As we consider this, I want to just create a little bit of background, remind us about a little bit about what we talked about last week. So in part, let us remember how God was preparing the people of Israel. We know that our text is going to be found in Exodus chapter 20, so we have to consider the rest of Exodus. And I did that a little bit last week, gave us some preliminary information there but I want us to look specifically at Exodus 19 verse 6 where it says this and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation that is in fact as Christians we are called to this as well this is what God is saying to the people of Israel to be the priest and a holy nation to the world we as Christians are called to this very same thing Following on in 19.6 of Exodus, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So here God is telling Moses, I want you to go speak these words. And they had to go out and consecrate. That is, the people of Israel had to go and consecrate themselves for three days as Yahweh commanded them. We see later on in chapter 19, beginning in verse 17... And it says this, and Moses brought the people, this is, this word people here is nation, out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. (coughs) Excuse me. This is important. They went out to hear the word of the Lord, to hear the word of the Lord. And in verse 20 of chapter 19, it says this, Then Yahweh, that is the personal name of God, came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. 
And you see, that lays everything out. The people go out to the mountain. God comes to the mountain. And now, at the beginning of chapter 20, God is going to speak. We call this the Ten Commandments. I mentioned to you last week that we're going to consider this the Ten Words because it says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying... So God is speaking. This isn't someone's opinion about God. This is God himself speaking. And in these ten words, let us be reminded, they are not just commands. They're imperatives, declarations, warnings, and promises. We remember from last week that Yahweh, your God, is present we see that God's personal name shows up eight times in these ten words. And in fact, Yahweh your God, not just Yahweh here's this God of the universe out here, but Yahweh your God shows up five times. Last week we learned that God moves sovereignly in real space and times in specific ways with exacting precision considering the plagues. And remember, we talked about that last week. When we looked at the first word, we came to realize that we are not to bring any God before the face of the living triune God, that we should not have anything in our lives that directs the paths of how we live and worship that is not from the word of God. Let us hear today's text. Exodus chapter 20 beginning in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Now, when we hear this text, we should recognize that there is a connection between the first two words. These first two words are linked as all the ten words are. However, these two are related to the nature of the worship of God. In the first, we are told not to bring any gods before the face of Yahweh. Here in the second word, we are told, You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down nor serve them. As Christians who are in the church, who are in fellowship with other Christians, read Christian books, and maybe are involved in some type of ministry, we seem to forget that our sinful natures are given to idolatry. Let me say that again. All of us forget that our sinful natures that we're dealing with are given to idolatry. It sneaks in a variety of ways into our hearts and actions. We stand in judgment of the peoples of the past 
How foolish they were that they would actually fall into the sin of creating little idols and worshiping them. We should take careful note that when God speaks His words to give life by His covenant, He speaks concerning idolatry in the first, second, and even third words. We have foolishly come to believe that because we no longer get out our knives and carve images, that somehow we don't struggle with idolatry. This is a distracting lie from Satan. Here, God is clear that in this passage we are not to, number one, make for ourselves and that we should not bow down and serve. The issue is making and bowing down and serving. We'll speak further about making for ourselves shortly. We in our fallen state seem to have our ears stopped up or have a real comprehension problem because God says things simply, but he repeats himself. Every time you see in Scripture a place where God says something and then he turns around and says it again, first of all, it should be, hey, pay attention. Secondly, it should be for us to recognize that this is a significant issue. Pay attention. Hear. Listen. Submit yourself to it. We see that Moses, in his preface to his sermon to the people of Israel in the ten words that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 4, speaks directly to the people of Israel in this way. Deuteronomy chapter 4, beginning in verse 23, says this, Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of Yahweh your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which Yahweh your God has forbidden you. For Yahweh your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. But idolatry can easily, for us, we need to know this, idolatry can easily, for us, become a generational issue. Because it says this in chapter 4, where Moses says, remember, in in chapter 4, basically in chapter 5, Moses of Deuteronomy, Moses has given this sermon, and he's had 39 years to consider God's words given in Exodus 20. Gone through the wilderness, gone through trials and difficulties and working with this stubborn and stiff-necked people, and yet he still has mercy and compassion. And as he comes to Deuteronomy, he's thinking about transitioning, going from him. Leadership is going from him to Joshua. The elders are changing over. The old generation is dying off, and the new people are coming in. And he's given his last and great sermon. And here, all that's talking about changing generations. And here he says, you need to be careful about this. In verse 25 of chapter 4, Moses says this, When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land, listen now, he says this prophetically, and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of Yahweh your God to provoke him to anger. Moses is saying, this is a problem. I spent 39 years working this out in my own life. I spent 39 years helping you guys work through it. We have problems with idolatry. And again, I think in our modern day and age, we become distracted to thinking it's about the little carved thing. 
It's not. It's about the idols that we make for ourselves. Moses goes on in Deuteronomy chapter 4 to describe the discipline of God's judgment against Israel when they choose idolatry over serving Yahweh, Yahweh, your God. Let's talk about a couple of things here that idolatry is so serious a temptation that the word idol and its derivatives show up 231 times in the scriptures. Idol, idolatrous, idolatry, 231 times. That's a lot of times. That tells us this is an issue. If you don't think you have any idols, you're lying to yourself. Let's talk about what it's not. God is not saying don't have decorations for worship. It's okay to have flowers. It's okay to have some nice things up here, something with some art, to have the little cross on top of our communion plate, to have this cross up here. That's all fine. As a matter of fact, we should try to make it beautiful. This second word from God is not a direction to make beautiful copies of things in God's creation for decorations. It is also not the purpose of this command to have nothing beautiful in the creation in the worship spaces. So this is to say it's okay if you have some artistic skill or when you're a child and you're learning and you're drawing trees and birds and people. I kind of draw stick people, but... Right? And so it is not wrong to draw things out of creation. That's not what he's saying. And he's not prohibiting it even in our worship spaces. Consider just a few chapters later in Exodus chapter 25 that when God gives the instructions on building the tabernacle, that is the place of worship of Yahweh, that he tells Israel to decorate the tabernacle with images from the created order. In verse 18 of chapter 25, it says this, And you shall make two cherubim of gold of hammered work. You shall make them at the two ends of the mercy seat. In verse 31 of chapter 25 of Exodus, it says this, You shall also make a lampstand of pure gold, and the lampstand shall be of hammered work. That is, made looking nice. Its shaft, its branches, its bowls, its ornamental knobs, and flowers shall be one piece. So it's ornamental, it's decorative, it has flowers on it. Again, if we look in Exodus chapter 26, we see this. Moreover, you shall make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine woven linen and blue and purple and scarlet thread with artistic designs of cherubim, you shall weave them. Even the robes of the priests had created objects on them. Exodus 28, verse 31 says, You shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. There shall be an opening for his head in the middle of it, and it shall have a woven binding all around its opening, like the opening of a coat of mail, so that it does not tear. And upon its hem you shall make pomegranates, what? Pomegranates, of blue, purple, scarlet all around them, and bells of gold between them all around, and a golden bell and a pomegranate, and a golden bell and a pomegranate upon the hem of the robe all around. God even speaks to the fact that artistic skills are a gift from God. I know some of you out there have some skill. Again, I'm stick figures and you're doing great stuff. 
Exodus 28, 2, these gifts that you have, these skills, they are coming from God. Exodus 28, 2, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron and your brother for glory and beauty. So you shall speak to all those who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they make Aaron's garments. We should have beautiful worship spaces. Heaven is revealed in Revelations as a beautiful place filled with a river, trees, beautiful stones, and a beautiful throne. It is also worth noting that in Revelation chapter 5, we see the fulfillment of not objects in creation worshiping, but actual creatures of creation worshiping. In other words, we're not, we're not seeing uh, the worship of objects in heaven, but we actually see the objects of creation worshiping. Revelation chapter 5, verse 13 says, And every creature... Now, I'm, I'm going to point this out. When you hear this, listen, think back to the word. We're not to have what? Anything in the skies above, the earth below. But look what it says here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. You see this? Instead of objects, you see the actual living things praising God. It's kind of the opposite. It's the fulfillment of all these things. All of this points us to the fact that worship is at the center of this second word from God. Why? Because we see in this word, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. In fact, worship is always the central thing. We have been created to be homo adorians. That is, man who worships. As modern Christians, we sometimes don't see this as clearly as we ought. We think Christianity is about our sins being forgiven so we can simply go to heaven. We have forgotten that it is our sins that have separated us from God. Our sins, our idols, they keep us from worshiping God. We can only worship God rightly when we have been reconciled to God through Jesus. We worship God because He is God and therefore worthy of worship. Moreover, we worship God. God with gratitude for His abundant mercy and grace. You know, when we made our confession today, there's no plan in this, right? But the scripture that Ken used today is the same one that I'm about to read here in my notes. We didn't, there's no collusion here. But remember, we are to worship God with gratitude for His abundant mercy mercy and grace Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says this in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace which he made to abound or that word abound could be lavished lavished toward us all in wisdom and prudence we are to worship God because he is God and we are to do it with such gratitude and praise because he's been so gracious to us Here we also see something that we need to think about. These words, written versus heard. Over the past few months, we have discussed the eye being the organ of judgment or authority. 
and the ear is the organ of submission. As we consider the concept of idolatry, and we consider this concept of hearing as being the place, the organ of submission, let us consider what it says again in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 12. And Yahweh spoke to you out of the midst of the fire, and what? You heard the sounds of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. When we make idols of the created world, we are making our judgments instead of submitting to God's word. So what's really going on here? What is God calling us to in this word? It's really about Jesus the Son. The second word is prohibiting us from making for ourselves our own mediator to God. We can clearly see that these idols are graven images of the Old Testament and throughout all of history were not really understood as the actual Baal or Molech or Thor or Azabazan, right? All these idols, all these gods. They knew that these little objects were not the God. These little objects that they made, they were the mediator between them and the God. These graven images were representations of their gods to be sure, but it was an attempt, again, to make their own mediator. When we understand this, we can see where this idol, this prohibition against making idols, is an offense to the triune God. It is especially making an attempt to displace the second person of the Trinity, Jesus. Think about this now. We're making idols, and we, in, in this case they're making idols so that they kind of have a representation, this mediator between them and their God. But Jesus, in fact, is the one who came to us. He is God manifest. Consider John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt, that is, tabernacled. He came down and dwelt with us and became the place for which we could know God. And we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus becomes God and here on earth and dwells with us he is the true image bearer of the father not something made up john 14 9 says this jesus said to him i have been with you so long and yet you have not known me philip he who has seen me has seen the father so how can you say show us the father verse 10 says this do you not believe that i am in the father and the father is in me These words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus is our only mediator. 1 Timothy 2, verse 5 says this, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Jesus is our mediator to God the Father. When we set up our own ways to worship God and to live our daily lives, we are making our own mediator. We certainly do this when we don't go to worship on the Lord's Day. 
But we also do this in so many ways in our daily liturgy. That is, the daily things of your life, your routines. We do this when we try negotiating with God for how we should live, think, or do. We say God's word doesn't really say this or that. Sometimes we negotiate with God by claiming ignorance. We simply don't read or study God's word, so we don't have to know what the commands are. We're negotiating with God. We must repent of the idols we have set up as false mediators. I'm going to bring up one right here. I've brought up several already, but I want to bring up this one. This one's a big one. It's excuses. Excuses. We make excuses. Why we don't read our Bible, why we don't pray, why we don't do something biblically ethical, why we don't speak in love to our, to our spouses, why we speak ragely towards our children, why we push back against all kinds of things. We make excuses. I was tired. They did this to me. All kinds of things that we do where we make excuses. We are making the excuse our mediator between God. We are presuming that this is somehow going to justify us in the sight of God. People of God. We see that we have a God of jealousy. It says this, For I, Yahweh, this is back to Exodus chapter 20. For I, Yahweh, your God. Who's God? Your God. My God. Am a jealous God. It is amazing how we can see the things of God and then look with displeasure and judgment towards God Almighty. We say God is a jealous God. That's not very becoming of God. He shouldn't be jealous. People, including many Christians, see God in His Word and say that God could not have meant that because that's not very nice or accommodating or supportive. Lord, have mercy on us. We take our eye of judgment and foolishly reject his words of life. There are two considerations here. One, here, Psalm 50, verse 6. Let the heavens declare his righteousness, for God himself is judge. Selah. If this morning you'd have been in Sunday school, you'd have heard us talk about this a little bit, this word selah. I know there's some debate but there's certainly something where every time we see this, we should take pause and consider what God is saying. In this verse, it says, Let the heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. There is no judge above God. What God says is right and true. It simply is. Selah. We should rest and recognize the righteousness of God. God has created us. God has given us mercy. And God speaks to his covenant people. 
Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 6 says this, And when I passed by you and saw you struggling in your own blood, this is God speaking to the people of Israel, I said to you in your blood, live. Yes, I said to you in your blood, live. I made you thrive like a plant in the field. In verse 8 he says, So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Now it isn't just naked, naked. It is covering up your exposure, your sinfulness. Verse 10 of Ezekiel 16 also says, I clothed you with an embroidered cloth and gave you sandals of badger skin. I clothed you with fine linen and covered you with silk. God speaks to his covenant people. He gives us life. He has covered us. It is the righteousness of Jesus alone. Not one good work that you and I can do is worth anything. It's the righteousness of Jesus that he has covered us with. And he has given us life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And you say, Pastor Dan, I have no idea why that's connected. Let me tell you something. We see the humility of Christ First, to leave his position in heaven and to come down out of love for us. And he took on the form of a man. He dwelt among us. And being found in this way out of love, he humbled himself and became obedient and took our death. When we are making excuses, when we are making our own judgments, when we are creating our own mediators... First of all, we are showing utter disdain towards Christ. And we are not humbling ourselves before the mighty and awesome God. I think there's a second thing to consider here a little bit. If you don't understand the jealousy of God in these things, consider this. Whether you're married or not, you're going to get this one. All right? I'm going to use me and my wife as the example here. (coughs) If I say that I love my wife, but I don't talk to her, right? But I go over to the shelf, the piano where we have our pictures of our family, and I pick up the picture of her, and I start talking to that picture. That sounds ludicrous, doesn't it? Sounds crazy, right? And then I say, well... I'm not going to kiss my wife. I'm going to kiss the picture. Does she have a right to get upset? I mean, it's one thing if I did it for a joke for a day. Don't any of you guys do that. (laughs) Right? But, But if I did this day in and day out, would my wife have a right to be jealous? And, and, and would, would my fascination with this object, this mediator to my wife, 
Is it absurd? So is making any mediator between you and God absolute absurdity. God is a jealous God. Don't provoke him. He's provided everything for you in his son, in forgiveness. Don't make excuses to be reconciled to him. There's two kind of mercies going on in this passage. We see this, first of all, that visiting the iniquities of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those that hate me. Now, when I say that, you probably say, wait a second, there's a mercy in there? Actually, there is. At first, this sounds like a simple, simply just a terrible judgment by making sin generationally. But it's more than that. It is actually mercy. God is limiting the wickedness of tyrants. Let me say that again. God is limiting the wickedness of tyrants, whether it's kings, fathers, mothers, whatever it is. If you look at Scripture, you see over and over again a wicked king shows up, maybe his son is wicked, and then all of a sudden it ends by no later than the third generation. God brings in judgment, calls everybody to repentance. Not that there weren't calls before, but this is a mercy. This is a mercy. Second, the mercy that we're all familiar with and we cling to a lot, God says in verse 6, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. We see this mercy. Every parent is glad for this mercy. We're glad for this promise. We're glad that God interrupts our sins in our children and in the generations to come. You know, this morning, again, I hate to beat this drum, but I'll do it unashamedly. If you were in Sunday school this morning, one of, one of the, the persons in here who's a grandparent was just sharing the challenges of having your adult children in the room with you, living with you, how they help you see your sin. And how you look at your grandkids And the same thing happens. It makes you say, Lord, let me lean into you. I need more grace. You ask for forgiveness. Parents, don't think you shouldn't apologize to your kids. You lose your temper, you apologize. That doesn't negate that they need discipline for what they did. You still deal with that. But if you sin against your spouse, you sin against your children, repent to God and repent to the people you sin against. Listen, do that early and quick and often throughout the lives of your children. Otherwise, it's a lot more messy later. Psalm 25.10 says this, All the paths of Yahweh are mercy. These two mercies, limiting the, 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 the reign of tyrants and blessing those who are penitent before God. All the paths of Yahweh are mercy and truth to such that keep his covenant and his testimony. This leads us not to simply cling to God's mercy, but to find our idols and destroy them. We must confront the idols of our lives like Gideon in in Judges chapter 6. Let us hear this quickly. Genesis, excuse me, Judges chapter 6, we see Gideon 
confronting the idols. Verse 25, now it came to pass the same night that Yahweh said to him, that's Gideon, take your father's young bull, the second bull of seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it, and build an altar to Yahweh, your God, on the top of this rock in the proper arrangement. And take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image which you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men from among his servants and did as Yahweh had said to him, because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day, he did it by night. God is gracious. doesn't matter if it's day or night. Take the idols, those things, those excuses, everything that you're making is mediator between you and God, and burn them down. Destroy them and worship God rightly. Not just in this church service, but throughout every aspect of your daily life. May we all do as Gideon. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that your word shows us that we are not to have idols, that there is no mediator but your son Jesus. Show us our idols that we may destroy them and worship and live according to your holy word and your son's name, Jesus. Amen.